Good morning, church. If I have a chance to meet you, my name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I personally want to welcome you to CBC. For those of you who are joining us online, we're grateful that you're with us as well. We're kicking off a brand new series today entitled Vox. Vox is a music term. It actually means voice, and this series is in line with the whole set of series we're doing all year long in response to what we believe God has called us to as a church with regards to growing in our relationships with God, growing in our knowledge of God, growing in our faith and how we practice our relationship with God. And we could not think of a more important platform to do that than in hearing, knowing, and responding to the voice of God. That is the premise of this entire series, that we are going to learn how to hear, know, and understand the voice of God. Today, we're kicking things off with what is really going to be little more than a big introduction to this series. I want to let you know up front that I am very excited for next week's message as well. I am going to invite with me to the stage one of my seminary professors, Dr. Scott Booth, and we are going to discuss together the ways in which God still speaks to us today. Three weeks from today, it is a message that I cannot be more excited about giving Uh, in regards to knowing God's voice and how we know the voice of God. And then finally, we're going to wrap things up in week four, and I am excited to share with you some exciting things going on then, but that message will be all about responding to the voice of God. Let me invite you up front to pull out your Bible. Grab your Bible and open to the book of 1 Samuel. Good news, if you didn't bring your Bible or you don't have one, one of our ushers would love to gift you a Bible. I simply invite you to raise your hand indicating that you'd like a Bible, and one of our ushers will bring you a Bible, and this Bible is yours to have. It's a gift. We do encourage you to bring it with you every week, so if you would, raise your hand and let our ushers know that you'd like a Bible. If you're looking for 1 Samuel, you'll find it about the first five-eighths of the way through the Bible. In the Old Testament, it starts with Genesis, then we move to Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, then we have Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and then 1 Samuel. This week, while I was in the gym, I was keenly aware of the individuals who have a propensity to stand around and talk like I do. And I got to thinking about it in an industry that brings in an estimated $28 billion annually in the United States alone and near $100 billion globally in the health and fitness industry in gym memberships alone, I got to thinking to myself, in light of today's message, how many people would agree with me that it would be ludicrous <laughs> to assume that anyone could grow and change their physique or increase their cardiovascular abilities if they went to a gym with a good idea to get fit, paid for a membership, and then stood there in the middle of the gym watching what everybody else was doing, admiring their physiques, observing the people on those funny machines that go round and round like squirrels. I've been told that's called card, card, you know, card something. Some of you will get that joke later. Those of you who aren't laughing, you're with me. You don't like cardio either. Or maybe you sit there and you think that somehow 
as gross as this is going to sound, by osmosis, which is actually touching water, where water connects, touching their sweat is going to make you physically stronger. I was coming into the gym as a friend of ours was leaving the gym, and their face was all red and sweaty, and I said, wow, you must have had a great cardio session. And our friend said, no, no, I just got done tanning. That's why my face is all red and I'm sweaty. I'm hot. I said, oh, is that a form of cardio? I'm all in. How many of us would look at anyone who had a good idea about getting physically fit and changing their physique by standing in the middle of the gym, observing others and hoping for the best possible results? You would think that was absolutely silly. You would think it was a waste of time and a waste of money. And it would actually probably become borderline annoying to you as you're sitting there working out and people are staring at you. I, that happens to me all the time, guys. It just, it's, it's, it's crazy. But far too often, that tends to be the approach of our faith. We observe others' faith. And how they seemingly hear from God all the time. It's like they have a direct line with God. We hear them share their faith and we're admiring their knowledge of the word of God. And we're inspired by how they live out their faith. And so many of us, if we're being honest, we come up with a really good idea that we want to be like that. And so we think that showing up to church on Sunday... And watching what others do will somehow change us. And if that has ever been an approach that we've taken, then I would argue that with what we're going to talk about this series, it would make complete sense to me how we've never heard the voice of God. That we just go through the motions, watching others... But we don't feel like we ever hear the voice of God. We don't feel like God speaks to us. We don't feel like we have that kind of relationship. This series is going to address that. And today is a platform for that. I am very excited for it. In 1 Samuel, I want to give us some culture and context. There are two chapters leading up to what we're going to read today in chapter 3. The book of Samuel, 1st and 2nd, is a recollection and a, an account of Samuel's life. Samuel is not only a prophet, he will prove to be one of the most significant prophetic voices throughout Israel. Samuel is not just one of the most profound prophetic voices throughout Israel, but he is the last judge that Israel will ever have before they appoint a king. Samuel will be the one who changes the culture and the face of Israel as the community had known it at that time. Because prior to Samuel, there was a long period of time where God's voice was relatively silent. Samuel is an individual who will appoint King Saul at the request of the people because the Israelites, while admiring other kingdoms, standing there with their hands in their pockets, wanting to be like other kingdoms, no longer wanted God to rule them as a people group through prophets 
as judges, they wanted to appoint a king, an earthly king, so God would grant them their wish as he was tired of their whining, and they give, God gives him Saul, the, the, the nation of Israel, Saul, who will prove to be a bad choice by the, the people. Out of that, Samuel will be responsible for identifying and anointing and encouraging David, who will be the greatest king Israel will ever know outside of Jesus, who is the king of kings as we all know. Samuel's life began long before his birth. It was his mother Hannah, married to her husband Elkanah. Uh, he and she were married and they would go and worship every year and Hannah proved to be barren so Elkanah would marry Penina, a woman who was able to bear children. Penina was a very vindictive woman she was a very spiteful woman she was a, a woman who would intentionally attack Hannah and belittle her and mock her in what she was unable to do. And so they would go to the tabernacle. They would make this pilgrimage every year and offer sacrifices through the priest in hopes that God would, would restore them as he would the nation of Israel every year. And as they were there offering their prayers and offering their sacrifices, Hannah every year would weep and wail and mourn because she was barren. She was unable to have children. And I need us to understand that culturally speaking, maybe more than anything else, not being able to produce a child was maybe the greatest curse any woman could have on her life at the time. It was not only physically something that every woman thought they should do or that the community thought they should do, but it was a rite of passage and it was an opportunity to carry on the lineage of a family. So Hannah was heavy-hearted and broken over the fact that she could not conceive a child. Penina, being the vindictive woman that she was, belittling her, would mock her about the fact that she was unable to have kids and that Penina was. Eli, who is a priest, he is responsible for all the elements of worship in the tabernacle, setting up the sacrifice and going into the Holy of Holies annually to uh, intercede on behalf of Israel would sit near the holy place as Hannah comes in weeping and crying and praying. And in this weird exchange, Hannah is crying out in her own voice, broken, but Eli can't hear the words. He sees her lips moving, but he doesn't understand the words coming from her mouth. And he asks her, woman, what are you doing coming to the temple drunk? Why are you babbling but nothing is coming out of your mouth? You must be crazy. And Hannah pleads, oh sir, no, I'm not drunk on wine and I certainly haven't had anything stronger. I am grieving. I am broken. I want a child but I am unable to conceive. And, and, and then she makes this prayer, this plea. If only the Lord would grant me a son, I would dedicate his life. I would give him over to God in service of God for the rest of his life. As Hannah is preparing to leave the tabernacle, Eli, who himself is a father, and we'll hear about that momentarily, prays this prayer of blessing. May the Lord bless you and bring upon you as you've asked. Hannah will leave and she'll go home with her husband. And some years later, Elkanah, her husband, and Hannah will, in fact, conceive a child and will, in fact, give birth to a son. And they will name that child Samuel, which means the Lord hears. 
Every year, as Elkanah prepares his family, Penina and her children and Hannah, they will get ready to go to the tabernacle and Hannah will say, please don't, don't let me go now. Let me keep the boy until he is weaned. And when he is weaned, I will accompany you and we will dedicate him together at the temple. And she sings this song of praise, this mighty prayer of gratitude to God. Elkanah agrees and he says, may the Lord bless you and may it be so as you have spoken that when the child is weaned from you, we will dedicate him at the temple, at the tabernacle. The following year, it came time for the pilgrimage to the tabernacle to worship God collectively as a community and Hannah takes her son Samuel along with Elkanah and their family and they do as they had promised in response to God's promise they offer Samuel to Eli the priest and she says do you remember me I was the woman who was barren that was crying that you mistook as drunk and you prayed this prayer with me and the Lord has fulfilled his promise and I am fulfilling my promise. Here, have my son Samuel. Take him as your own. May he be the Lord's. May he do for the Lord. May he be a servant of the Lord all of the days of his life. And she physically turns her child over at that time, her only child, though the Lord will go on to bless her with many sons and daughters turns this son of hers over to Eli Eli will take Samuel in as his own not just priest but as his own child and will raise him up in the Lord at the same time Eli's two sons Hophni and Phinehas who are in line to be the priests behind Eli they are of the tribe of Levi they have an anointing on their life from God through their family. They have made a mockery of God. They have had rebellious spirits toward God. They were doing crazy things at the temple, at the tabernacle for worship, uh, such as when people would make offerings as an, as an act of sacrifice, they would send their servant over with a three-pronged fork to dip the fork into the, the vat and pull out the meat so they could have the meat for themselves instead of fully offering it to God. And they would take advantage of the women who were near the tabernacle. They would seduce these women. They were taking advantage of their position, of their authority, and their power. When Eli gets word of their behaviors by reputation and by a word from God through another individual, he goes to his sons and he pleads with them, guys, you've got to stop what you're doing. Your behavior is wicked. It is ridiculous. It is a mockery of God. And he goes on to say, God can forgive the sins of man unto another man but God cannot forgive the sins of a man when they intentionally mock God the Bible says God will not be mocked but Eli makes one grave mistake in that he does not intentionally remove his children from their roles he enables their behavior because he loves them and he's hoping that they'll turn the corner but they never do Because of this, God has, through this spoken word to Eli, let him know that his line will stop. That though Israel will continue with priests, Eli and his family will no longer be counted among those priests. They will all die. We're going to pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read through 10 verses, maybe 14. We'll see what kind of time we have. But as we get ready to receive from the word of God, let's pray together. Oh, Holy Spirit, you're invited to come and move. You're invited to capture our imaginations and 
transform our hearts. I pray for these next moments together that we have, Father, that you'll move in mighty ways that we will not only receive your word, but we will respond to your voice. God, I pray that you would do immeasurably more than we could imagine this morning. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together would be glorifying to you, Father. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. All right, guys, we're going to read through these 10 verses together, and we're going to examine collectively what the text says. This is Samuel, his account of his life for the Israelites in relationship to God. It says in verse 1 of chapter 3, Meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. Something the Lord spoke to my heart while I was studying this was how we as a people have a propensity to care more about the position than we do the process. Do you think that Samuel knew he was special? Do you think he ever inquired where his mother and father were or why he only saw them once a year when they came to worship at the tabernacle? Do you think he had learned that he was God's promised child to Hannah and that he was dedicated at the tabernacle for God? Do you think that he knew that God had a mark on his life? That God was going to use him to do amazing things in his life? In fact, It's possible he knew he might become a prophet, that he would fall in line with uh, Eli in what they were doing. He knew something was unique, and he knew that he had a position that was in front of him. It wasn't before him, but it was in front of him. And the thing that I love about what the Lord showed me in my time of study this week was the process that Samuel had to go to before he reached the position. Oftentimes, we're so consumed and caught up with the position that we forego the process. But it's in the process where we learn to rely on God. It's in the process where we learn the relationship with God. It's in the process where we're growing and where we are maturing as individuals, as fully devoted followers of God. It's in the process where we learn through hurts and hang-ups through the hard things, how to better relate to others. If we forego the process in favor of the position, we might miss out on the miracles of God all throughout. The Lord has a word for someone this morning. You've been here and you've been so focused on the the position that you're neglecting the process. And the Lord wants you to know this morning That it's in the process that he's going to meet you and equip you and ready you for the position. So when you get that position, you will be fully equipped for the work that God has in store for your life. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. Now in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare and visions were quite uncommon. We have to ask ourselves, if the Bible is inerrant, in other words, it's free from flaw, it's perfect, from Genesis to Revelation, then we understand that God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that God speaks. 
So we have to ask ourselves then, if God hasn't moved, and if God hasn't changed, but the nation of Israel is not hearing the voice of God, who's moved? Who's changed? If the nation of Israel at this time are anything like the two sons of the priest Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, where they're rebelling against God, it makes sense then that they are either A, too busy to take time to hear from God, too distracted to recognize the voice of God, or God is sick and tired of being mocked. Read the account of Moses and the Israelites in the desert. The number of times God says, I've had enough. You people, you are wicked, wretched people. You call on me, I respond, I lay out a covenant, you agree to the covenant, and then you turn and do your own thing. You don't really want to hear from me at all, do you? You want me to rubber stamp your best laid plans in place of my will for your life. And God's silent, he's silent over the nation of Israel. This is clearly what's taking place as we read that there was very, very few visions and prophetic words given at this time. And so, can you help me understand together then that this must have been a spiritually dark time in the life of the Israelites. They must have felt lost in their own deserts, wandering around, wondering why the voice of God had departed them. Even Eli, we're going to see here in just a moment that even Eli, even Eli hasn't been hearing the voice of God and he's surprised when he does. I wonder then, let's read in verse 3 as we pick up uh, the text which will lead into the first of three points I'm going to give you today. Verse 2. One night, Eli, the priest, who was almost blind by now because of his age, had gone to bed. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, the lamp that the priest was responsible to light at at that dusk and keep going throughout the night until the early morning. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. This was customary for priests and Levites, for those who were responsible for managing the worship in the tabernacle, to sleep in or around the premises. And it's interesting that it says here clearly that Samuel was sleeping near the ark of God, near the holy place. He knows aspects and elements of worship. He knows his responsibility. He's learned from Eli, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But here's what I want us to point out today. I'm going to give us three P's. Three simple P's that we can listen to and follow along with as we learn how to uh, hear the voice of God. First P is our posture. It's our posture. I mentioned earlier about the gym analogy. And I want to tell you that there are people who go to the gym and they will work out. They'll actually go and lift weights, but they'll never see change. In fact, they'll do damage to their bodies. They'll never see growth muscularly because they have poor posture. They're not doing what they need to do. And I would argue, it says here, that Samuel was sleeping near the ark of God. When you are sleeping, generally speaking, There is an absence of noise and distractions. There's an absence of light. There's an absence of information. There's an absence of other people. Could it be that we are so busy 
with the things of our lives that we don't ever take a posture that prepares us to receive a word from God? That we are so busy distracting ourselves. At night, you lay down, you grab your phone by your bedside and you're looking at YouTube videos, all the, all the channels you subscribe to. You're going through social media, you're combing through that, or you're reading the newspapers, or you're reading a book, or you're watching your latest television shows that you have put on Hulu, or you've, you, you, you've devoted them, you've, you put them on your DVR so you can go back and watch them, and going into bed, you, you shut off the TV and you turn on the noise, the ambient noise, or the music, and you fall asleep to that, and you fall asleep thinking about the last things that were on your mind what you were watching or what you were hearing or what you were seeing could it be that we are so busy allowing people to speak into our lives different voices in relationships around us that we have so many voices coming at us that we don't recognize the voice of God that we don't take a posture where we're prepared to hear from the voice of God that we aren't quiet and still long enough That we don't change our posture to hear God. We show up on Sunday, we put our hands in our pockets, we look around, we see other people, we admire their faith, we admire what God's doing, we admire the pastors, we admire uh, all this stuff, and we want to be like that. We want to be like that person that's sitting near you. You know who that person is. It seems like they have a direct line with God. You admire that. The problem is that you stand there like a person in the gym wanting to change their physique or their cardiovascular levels. Unless you change your posture, you very well may never be able to hear the voice of God. Church, admittedly, this is quite possibly the most difficult spiritual discipline in my life. Shutting up. The spiritual discipline of shutting up. Long enough to hear God speak. I describe to you what I often do, that I get so inundated with other voices and other people and I read blogs and I listen to people and I I watch videos and I I have not watched television. This is a true, Chris Harrison ruined my life. When he came out here and we were doing our Stronger series and he was talking about Stronger Fasting, I have not watched television one hour since then. I haven't even watched ESPN. God help me. And I don't miss it either. That's not to say I haven't watched a movie with my kids or my wife, but I don't just sit down and mindlessly watch television anymore. But I still am so busy with information and getting, just, I'm constantly going. I, go, I just had an individual on Friday look at me. He'd never met, we'd never met before. We sat for three and a half hours and he said, dear God, man, do you ever stop? <laughs> And I said, most often at a red light, I will for a moment. (laughs) How many of us don't hear from God because we are not willing to change our posture? We like the noise. We become comfortable in all the busyness and hecticness. I want to argue that I think that in order for us to really hear the voice of God, it's going to require that we change our posture. Samuel changed his posture. He had responsibilities as a servant to God as a servant with Eli he would have been responsible for a lot of different things but it says here that as he's laying down in the stillness of the night suddenly verse 4 suddenly the Lord called out Samuel yes Samuel replied what is it he got up and he ran to the only voice that sounded familiar to him in that proximity here I am did you call me he said to Eli, how many parents have woken up in the middle of the night 
by one of your children? How many of you have woken up and your kids didn't say anything, they're just standing over the top of you, like Chucky? That's my life. My life right now is, and I don't know what their problem with my wife is, but all my girls come into my room and wake me up to ask permission if they can go potty at 2 o'clock in the morning. Go ask your mom. You just leave me be. And no, they don't just ask. Like, they do the whole potty dance. Like, Daddy, i got to go potty. Can I go potty? I'm like, good child, just go. If you don't wake me up, you can go in your bed. I'll clean it up later. Just leave me alone. <laughs> Eli gets woken up by Samuel. That's not true. I don't want to clean it up. <laughs> he said, I-, I didn't call you. Samuel, go back to bed. And so he did. Verse 6, then the Lord called out again, Samuel. Again, Samuel got up and and he went to Eli. Here I am, Eli, did did you call me? I love how patient Eli is with Samuel. I didn't call you, my son. Go back to bed. Verse 7. Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never had a message from the Lord before. I I want us to think about something for a moment. What does it mean to you and me that Samuel, who grew up in the church, literally had a bed in the pastor's office and volunteered in every ministry of the church? I mean, Samuel was involved. He was your A-list volunteer. He was involved in the kids' ministry. He was the lead production in the kids' play. He was involved in men's ministry. Samuel was responsible for caring for the grounds. He was setting up and tearing down, mowing the grass. He was even known to hang out at the women's ministry events because of the food there. And why you guys decorate the way you do. The guys, we don't even decorate. Guys, we're really lame when we do events. These women, when they go, they they go all out here. It's like a wedding for their night. But Samuel knows that he knows what it's like to be in, in ministry. Samuel knows what it's like to hang out with the priest. Not just the priest, but the person responsible for all elements of worship. Samuel is trained. Church, listen to me. He is literally trained in the art of church. The art of ministry. He knows religion very, very well. He's even appointed by God. He's anointed the promised child that is given over to God in service. He will become the prophet of Israel. He will become the last judge of Israel. Samuel will change the nation of Israel. And yet even Samuel in all his religion standing in the middle of the church did not have a relationship with God. How many of us this morning are guilty of going through the motions? We show up. We show off. We volunteer. We do all the religious things. But if we are honest, we have never had an encounter with Jesus Christ that has fundamentally changed our lives forever. We have never heard the voice of God in our lives. If there is one thing that drives me as a pastor over any other, it is religion over relationships. People who go through religious motions rather than experiencing a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if it is possible for Samuel to be religious and yet not have a relationship, we do need to investigate. If we're not hearing the voice of God, 
If we do not feel like we hear the voice of God, one of the things that we have to investigate is whether or not we have a relationship with God or we are just going through the religious motions. Verse 7, Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never had a message from the Lord before. So the Lord called a third time. Everybody say, third time. I'm not going to give you the message next week, but I'm going to tell you, Next week we're talking about all the ways that God speaks and I'm so excited. You're gonna, you guys are going to be blown away by my friend Scott Booth and, 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 and the message next week. Bring somebody with you. He's going to blow your mind. One of the ways that God speaks, I'm going to give you it now, is through repetition. How many of you can be hard-headed and have to be told something more than once? All right? No, I didn't say raise your wife's hand. I said you. I'm going to be honest with you this morning and let you know that if there is an area that God speaks to me most often in, it is through the avenue. Next week's message is called intersections. God intersects me through repetition. He did it again yesterday. I was having a strong conversation with my wife who was not very happy that I was going back to my office to do more work. She was pretty disappointed that she feels like on the altar of ministry, my family gets sacrificed. She had a lot of projects that she wanted me to do around the house and I kept explaining to her why I couldn't, I I kept explaining how I was going to do them all and then she would ask me when and I said July and one of my buddies who was with me said 2019. (laughs) And I had this conversation with my wife about how important ministry was and that this is a very, very, very busy season in the life of our church. And I find myself, I find myself busy quite a lot. Not just with my normal tasks, but this has been a season where I've spent an extra amount of time with people, coaching them, walking through life with them, coaching our staff. We're right in the middle of hiring a youth pastor. We've got a lot going on. And I'm just, I find that I'm really busy. And my wife called me out on that yesterday. So I got to my office and I began to do the work I was working on and I was reading an article. And I had to stop and take a picture of the article. Because the article said in one verse that it doesn't matter, and it was in relationship to Eli, specifically verse 8, with regards to his two sons, Phineas and Hophni, that it doesn't matter how much you dedicate your life to God and to ministry if you sacrifice sacrifice your family on the altar of ministry. If you failed in your family, then you can never succeed in your ministry. And I took a picture of that, and I thought, okay, Lord, that hurts a little bit. Within 30 seconds of setting my phone down, and I thought I had it on vibrate, I get an audible ping. It's a notification from Washington Post news article that says, one woman's lapse in time costs her her daughter's life and changes her life forever. As I investigated, she was so busy doing other things that she forgot about her kid and her kid ended up dying, her little baby. Okay, Lord, you got my attention. Within two hours, I had a friend talk to me about this. 
my wife talked to me about this. Scripture slapped me in the face. And then a Washington Post news article. So I left everything I was working on undone. And I went home. And as I pulled in the driveway, Stacy was startled. And she got emotional. She said, what are you doing home? And I said, wait, I thought the point was you wanted me home. Should I go? And she said, well, I just didn't expect to see you until tomorrow at church. And I shared with her all the things that had happened. And she just broke down. And I had to repent. I had to apologize. I've been having an affair. I've been cheating on my wife with the church. And I had to confess to her. And then I had to go to some key people in my life to hold me accountable and say, you know what? If I'm going to cheat anybody or anything, I'm going to cheat the church in favor of my wife and my kids. And I don't apologize for that. If anything, guys, I'm sorry I haven't set a good example of putting my family over the ministry. Now, I love you. I love this church. And I will work day in and day out and I will, I will serve you with a lot of passion and a lot of fun. But the Lord, through repetition, got a hold of me yesterday and said, pay attention, man. Pay attention. Verse 8, so the Lord called a third time and once more Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am, did you call me? Then Eli, look at this, circle the word realized. That's such an important word. Eli had a relationship with God. Eli was a prophet for God. Eli was, I'm sorry, not a prophet, a priest for God. Eli uh, had a long-standing history, even in his family, of God. And yet here it says, then Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling the boy. Do you think it's possible that the reason Eli hadn't heard from God is because he wasn't expecting to? Come on, how many of us are not hearing from God because we just don't expect God to speak to us? How many of us have just become so accustomed to a silent God that even if he did speak to us, we wouldn't recognize it? Not only did it take God three times to get Samuel's attention, but it took God three times to get Eli's attention. And Eli had a running history with God. He should have seen it coming. He should have been expecting it. Many of us here this morning don't hear the voice of God because we don't see it coming and we're not expecting it. But I'm crazy enough to believe what Mark Batterson in his book Whisper wrote. That the God who was, is, and forever will be, that doesn't change, that if we would do what the disciples did in the Bible, that God would continue to do what God did in response to their obedience in the Bible. Jesus said, these things I've done, greater things will you do. Why are we surprised when we see miracles? Why are we surprised when we see signs? Why are we surprised when we see wonders? Why are we surprised when we hear God? Church, we have got to stop walking around with low expectations of receiving a word from God and start expecting it because God speaks. God's voice is a voice that is relevant today in this time for your life and for us. Throughout Israel, most often God would speak to the church. But today, through Jesus and a variety of other ways, he speaks directly to you. He speaks to you by name. You don't believe me? Check this out. When Eli realized it was the Lord calling, he said to the boy, Go, lie down, and if somebody calls again, speak, and say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed. This is the second P of the three P's I'm going to give you. The first one is that we need to change our posture. The second one is all about preparation. 
we need to prepare to receive from the Lord. Eli, when he realizes what's going on, says to Samuel, you need to get ready. You need to prepare to receive from the Lord. Samuel, you need to go. You need to lay down and you need to expect to hear that voice again. And if you do hear the voice of God, you need to say this, speak, Lord. And then you need to spiritually shut up so that God can talk to you. You need to listen. I want to talk to you for a moment about preparation. Arguably, we prepare for the things that matter most to us. We prepare for doctor's appointments. We prepare for huge business meetings. We prepare for weddings. Imagine this. Imagine the next wedding you go to. Your daughter's getting married and she says, hey mom, uh, we'll call him Steve. Steve and I are getting married. Can't wait for the wedding. We'll see you there. And then walks away. How can we adequately prepare If we don't set aside time, expectations, location, and the purpose. That'd be ridiculous. I hope one of my daughters says that to me. My follow-up statement is, how are you paying for it? I got a running deal with all my daughters. I got five daughters. I said, look. here's the deal you get married in your mom's dress in my backyard and I'll do it for free (laughs) you're laughing I'm not I'm not I'm I'm not joking I'm serious whoever whoever they marry better have a lot of cows you know what I'm saying it's a big dowry we prepare for the important things in our lives We set aside time, we set aside a location, we prepare for that meeting, and then we follow through with the things that matter most to us. Except when it comes to the eternal God, which is never ending. How can we expect to hear from the voice of God if we're not preparing to hear from the voice of God? We have got to set aside time, we've got to find a location, and we have got to follow through. So that we can hear the voice of God. We got to be ready. We got to prepare. Eli says to Samuel, go, go back, run. Samuel, don't miss this. Go lay down and listen, listen intentionally, listen intently. And when the voice speaks again, you say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And then Samuel, shut up long enough to hear what he has to say to you. He is prepared to receive a word from the Lord. Are you prepared to receive a word from the Lord this morning? Perhaps you're not receiving a word from the Lord because not only is your posture not right, you're not prepared to hear from the Lord. You're not prepared. Verse 10. And we'll finish with this. And the Lord came. And the Lord called us before Samuel. Samuel. And Samuel replied, Speak, your servant is listening. Church, it is no mistake that God used Samuel's name twice. We see this at least three other times in Scripture when God has an important word for someone. We see it in Moses' life, we see it in David's life, we see it in Joshua's life. The things that are important here to understand is that God knows you by name, He calls you, and He waits for you. He calls you by name. He calls out and he says, Roger. He says, Mike. He says, Lisa. 
He says, Libby. He says, Andrew. Andrew. And he speaks to us by name because he loves us like a child of a father. There are times when I get so flustered with my kids that I will literally try to call one of their names, run through all of their names, including my dog. Autumn King Taylor, my bastard judge, Brianne. But on the by and large, when I want my children's attention, I will call out to them in love. When I was coming out of my office today, my youngest daughter, Brianne, was in a brand new dress, a sundress that I had never seen before. And she was spinning around in the halls and she was twirling and she was talking to some ladies. And I saw her and I just said, oh, Brianne. And when she heard my voice, she turned and saw Daddy. And I knelt down. I said, can Daddy have a hug? And she threw herself into my arms and I picked her up and I held her and I said, Daddy loves you. I didn't just say, hey, you. One of you Anderson kids, you know the one I'm talking about. You're the one closest to my ear right now. Come here. No, no, no. I said, Brianne, Daddy loves you. I want to tell you something. I believe with all my heart that God is calling you by name. But if you've never heard that still small voice call to you, could it be that you don't know the voice of God? In three weeks from today, we're going to talk about this. John chapter 10. The sheep will know the voice of their shepherd. We're going to talk about the significance of knowing God's voice because I believe that God is speaking to every one of you. But it's important that you know the voice, that you distinguish the voice, and you respond to the voice. So here's the final P. Purpose. Eli told Samuel what to do to get ready. And Samuel went to God on purpose. And he said, Lord, I'm here. I'm all ears. Speak to me. Your servant is listening. And the problem is we don't go to God on purpose or with purpose. We go to God like a proverbial Santa Claus where we come with a litany list of things we want done. Hey God, I need you to do this and this and this and this and this. And by the way, God, if you'd manage this and help me here and do that and heal me this and heal that person there. God, do this, this, this. Thanks God. In the name of Jesus, amen. And we think that somehow because we prayed in the name of Jesus, which is an important thing to do, and the reason that we pray in the name of Jesus is because when we see Jesus sending the disciples out, two by two, they, he says, it's not by your authority. You're going to go in, in my name. You're going to preach in my name. You're going to do these miracles in my name. You're going to see signs and wonders in my name. So it, it's twofold. Number one, it is recognizing that the power is God's alone. And the second thing is it is surrendering to God as the ultimate power. It is saying, Jesus, you're the only one capable of this. You don't say, in the name of Andrew, I pray. It would be ridiculous. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Then we finish with amen. Most of us take amen as an end to the conversation. And it's usually not a conversation. It's usually a monologue. We say, amen, Lord. Because I said, in the name of Jesus, amen. It has to be. Well, the thing with amen, it's an interesting word. Amen in its original roots means, so be it. It means, I agree. When I get preaching really good, mostly in other churches that are a little more charismatic, they'll shout back, amen. You come to third service when Kevin Barnhill's here, you think you're in a charismatic church. I know I'm doing real good when he starts shouting, amen. He's saying, I agree. That's good. Amen is not the end of a conversation. It's a segue to an even more meaningful conversation. Amen means, Lord, I said what I need to say. I'm going to shut up long enough to listen to what you want to speak to me. Most of us don't know how God speaks today, so we don't, we don't know what to do with it. I'm going to tell you something. If I struggle in any area of my faith, 
it is spiritually shutting up. Would you be surprised if I told you that even when I talk to God, I have a lot to say? And most times I don't, I don't, I don't slow down. I don't quiet long enough to, to let God speak to me. And when I do, it's so uncomfortable. Alex, I'll say, God, speak to me. And 30 seconds later, I can't take it. I'm biting my nails. I'm thinking about what's got to go on. I'm thinking about what I want to eat. I'm thinking about what I... uh, So I've had to learn over time one really cool trick. When I really do want to hear the voice of God, I'll set aside the time. I'll prepare myself. I'll show up. And I'll say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. One of the things I've learned to do is to take a legal pad. And anytime a thought pops into my head that's not of God, I'll just write it down and set it aside. I'll deal with that later. I'll deal with that later. I'll deal with that later. And then there's what, 28 lines on a legal pad? I usually use two. I'm four months away from 40. Can you believe that? I remember when I thought that was old. 40's the new 20. You gotta tell my knee that. I was 19 years old. I was in college. And I was coming back from leading worship at Chi Alpha. Chi Alpha is a college ministry. I was uh, leading worship for them, playing keys and singing, and just had a message about listening to the voice of God. And I was in my 1993 Honda Civic DX hatchback, and I was driving on Interstate 5, which is the main thoroughfare from Canada all the way down to Mexico. I-5 connects all the way top to bottom. And as I'm in my car, four lanes in, I just say out loud, God, would you speak to me? And I shut my radio off. And I was still for a moment. And I'm telling you guys, I don't know. There was nobody else in the vehicle that can uh, confirm what I, was, what, what I heard. But it was about as audible and as loud as any voice I've ever heard in my life. God spoke straight to my heart. So much so that I had to pull off on the side of I-5. And I just began to weep. I sat there. It had to be 30 minutes on the side of the highway. Just blown away that God met me in that moment. To God on purpose. And the purpose wasn't to tell God anything, but to listen to what He wanted to tell me. And God spoke a clear message to me that day that rocked me, changed me. Could it be that we're not hearing clearly the voice of God because we don't go to God on purpose? Or we go with our own purpose in mind? Guys, what I'm most excited about this series is this was just the introduction. I, I cannot encourage you enough to stop making excuses and put it on your calendar to be here the next three weeks after today. And invite somebody to come with you because of all the messages maybe that will ever be given in the life of this church, I can't think of any more important than hearing the voice of God, than learning to know the voice of God, and learning how to respond to the voice of God. I just can't. And if you're in agreement with that, please bring somebody with you next week so that they can hear how God speaks today. I love you, church. I'm excited for you. I'm excited for us. I'm excited for this weather. Thank you, Jesus. Got sunburned twice in a week. Thank you, God. Father, I thank you for my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ. I thank you for those who are here today that don't know you as Savior yet, but they're here and they heard your word today. You're working in them, Lord. They may have heard your voice for the first time today, like Samuel. They may have been coming to church for a long time, doing the religious thing, but they've never heard from you until today. I celebrate that moment, Lord. I celebrate your voice in their life. God, I pray that you'll speak to us, that 
we will change our posture, that we will be prepared to hear from you, and that we will come to you on purpose with the attitude and the intentionality of saying, speak, Lord, for your servant is ready to hear. 